Well, I'm going to introduce to you now. A, I called him an amazing man of God last time, I think, way too many times. So, but he is awesome. He is, he is an amazing man of God. So I have to say it once, and then I won't say it again. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I got to, I got to meet Carl um, and, and hear him speak. A number of years ago, back in the late 90s and early 2000s, when I lived in Kansas City, at, uh, and I went to International House of Prayer, uh, IHOP, and that's where Mike Bickle is. And at the time, Floyd McClung was there as well. And, and so uh, Carl Medeiros would come in, and he would speak, and he, he spoke multiple times. And man, every time this guy came in, um, it was just, it was, it was powerful. And it was, it's so... It's like when he gets up, it's such a simple message, uh, but it just comes with such clarity. It's kind of one of those, oh yeah, that makes sense. So um, I'm really excited to have him here. And I won't take any more of his time because I know he's got a lot to share here. So without further ado, Carl Madeiras. So we've lived in and out of the Middle East for uh, most of our adult lives, my wife and I, and our kids were, uh, one kid was, uh, our son was born in Damascus, Syria. Our two daughters were 17 months old and four months old when we moved to Beirut, Lebanon, 1992. We lived there for 12 years. So these two little baby daughters uh, now have both graduated from college. Our oldest daughter, Anna, who's 24, just turned 24, is moving back to Beirut in two weeks. Uh, she leaves on April 27th. Actually, I think, it's, uh, I think it might actually be a week from tomorrow or a week from Tuesday. And she's starting a film school. She's a, a documentary, budding documentary filmmaker. She's starting a film school for Syrian refugees in Lebanon. So our whole family is very invested in the Middle East. I first went to a country called Yemen, which unfortunately is in the news a lot these days. I went there when I was 20 years old. I just turned 21 with a group called YWAM. And uh, if you know Youth of the Mission, they do crazy things like send out 20-year-old kids to places like Yemen and then just kind of hope it goes well. And uh, some, sometimes it does, and not always, but uh, that's what I did. And I lived for three months in a tent with uh, uh, nomadic Bedouin Arabs in Yemen when I was 20, 21. And so our whole life has been invested kind of in and out of the Middle East. But I don't want to talk to you about uh, the Middle East today or about Muslims. It's not, talk, it's not a missions talk. I want to talk to you about fear. And I'll use that as a backdrop just because it's my life. It's not because I'm trying to make a point about something. It's just that's the life that I live. And we've had to deal with fear a few times and, and had to figure out how to work through it. And I think as I travel around the Western world and speak, I think Christians maybe have as much or more fear than other people. It's kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, so there's the regular fears of life, like if your house is on fire, if you're in the house, you should go ahead and be afraid. I think that's, that's probably normal. You should run, run out of the house screaming, you know, my house is on fire. That's normal fear. Uh, so we have all those kinds of fears that everybody else have. I'll just call those normal fears that are real. But then we have like lots of extra Christian fears that are on top of those. Things like, what if I don't get it right? What if I share the gospel with my neighbor and he rejects me? What if I invite them for dinner and he says, no, I'll feel bad. Um, you know, I talked to my, my, uh, my parents about Jesus and they, they were mad at me. So then you're afraid to do that again. So we have these extra fears that the rest of the world actually just doesn't have because they're not thinking about what we're thinking about. So what happens in the end is sometimes the church the one that should have all this freedom and this power to change society and actually do big things in Castle Rock and Douglas County. Instead of that, we actually end up being the most timid of all people. It's interesting that the number one command in all the Bible, like by far the thing that's commanded most in all the Bible is do not fear or fear not or don't be afraid. Some conjugation of don't fear. My guess is it's the number one command because God knows that we're all chickens at heart and he wants to encourage us, don't be afraid. Uh, so you see that again and again and again. It's interesting, a few years ago I was walking up some steps like this onto a platform, a big platform like this, but it was in a mosque in southern Lebanon. It was a Shiite Muslim mosque and I'd been asked to preach there, which I know is kind of sounds crazy, but that happens to me a lot. And so I was uh, walking up in the mosque and the imam of the mosque, the imam is like the the pastor of a church, the, the leader of a mosque is called an imam. He has a black turban and a big bushy beard and a long black robe, kind of like you'd picture a Muslim imam to look. He came running up behind me 
And he, he tapped me and then grabbed my shoulder and he said, Mr. Carl, Mr. Carl. They always call me Mr. Carl because I don't really have a title. So they want to, you know, be nice to me. So they make one up. It's Mr. So Mr. Carl, just one thing. And so I'm assuming he's going to say one thing is, what was I thinking having you speak about Jesus in my mosque, you know, April Fool's or, or something like that. But this is what he said. He said one thing. And it, and it was similar to this, only, the, I mean, the pulpit was a big wooden pulpit, and behind me wasn't this nice, um, you know, setting with, um, you know, instruments. There was a full wall, full wall mural of the Ayatollah Khomeini from Iran. So the atmosphere wasn't quite as, you know, friendly. And in the back were Hezbollah fighters with AK-47 machine guns there to pr- protect me. I always appreciated that protection. And, uh, and so the Hezbollah... Imam comes up and says, Mr. Carl, one thing. And I thought for sure he's going to say, you, you know, you can't do it. He said, please do not speak about Christianity, just Jesus. So I remember kind of turning back around and walking on up thinking, I think that's okay. I mean, I don't know what he meant by that. I mean, until now, I don't know what he meant by that. But I know what I mean by that. And really, from that time till now, my life has been trying to figure out what is Jesus Christ? What things are actually of Jesus himself? And what things are of the religion we call Christianity? It's the religious identity that we have. I'm assuming most of us here probably are from a Christian background. Or you would say, if somebody says, are you Christian? You would say, yes. What religion do you believe in? Christianity. And then you sometimes defend that religion. I've actually found doing that isn't all that successful. But now Jesus, who, by the way, wasn't part of the Christian religion. I don't know if you know that. This is like shocking. This would be like controversial thing number uh, one of 35 that I'll say this morning, right? <laughs> but this one, I'm just, I'll, I'll try to tell you before I say it. So, you, you know, you kind of go like this. Wait a minute. What's he saying? I don't know if you knew that. Jesus wasn't a Christian. Does that surprise anybody? He was Jewish. Jesus didn't start a religion. Does that surprise anybody? Uh, A few of you, when I said Jesus was Jewish, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, we know that one. When I say Jesus didn't start a religion and name it after his his last name, you know, Christ, (laughs) which isn't his last name, you should, that should be, that shouldn't even be interesting. Of course he didn't start a religion. He came to provide a new way. And what's the way? Him. He's the way. There's no religion of Christianity anywhere in the Bible. Now it is our religion. It's our identity. And so I think it's okay Christianity is the name of a religion and we belong to it. We can say that. I think that's fine. It's just not got much power to it. When you, when you preach Christianity, I don't know if you've tried that with your neighbors and they reject that and then you get confused by why they rejected that. It's because there's no power in religion. Not even ours. There's power in a person and his name is Jesus. And his last name isn't Christ. His first name isn't Lord. Jesus is not his middle name. His name is Jesus. In English, Jesus. My wife is my wife, but when I call her wife, she doesn't like that. I don't know why. (laughs) She is my wife, but when I say wife, I mean, that's her title. That's one of many titles that she has. So his titles are Christ and Lord, but those aren't his name. (laughs) We're just kind of warming up, you know, just... (laughs) So fear, back to fear. So I'm up there preaching. Uh, they actually, I did it and they liked it. I don't know why, but they liked what I talked about. And I just preached from the gospels, all right, from the Bible. They asked me back again. I actually spoke in several mosques. And then, then this next weekend, I was supposed to speak in a big mosque right on the Lebanese-Israeli border. You know, uh, Lebanon is just north. Here's the Mediterranean Sea kind of going, uh, well, this would be going east. And so here's Turkey, Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Egypt, you know, that part of the world. So um, I was asked to speak at this big mosque down in southern Lebanon on that Friday. You know, Friday is the Muslim, like the Sunday is for us, Friday is for them. And so I had said, yes, I was going to go down there and speak. And it was a Tuesday, and I, and I heard this knock on the door at our house in Beirut. And then after the knock, I saw these two guys kind of running by the window, and they were all dressed in black, and they had a black ski mask. And I was just thinking, that's weird. There's not any skiing around here. And... Uh, and so I went to the door and opened the door and they left me a box. I thought, how nice, they left me a box. So I picked up the box. I know that's kind of crazy and it's anticlimactic because obviously it wasn't a bomb. Obviously I didn't blow up because here I am. But there's a box. I shake it and think, oh, they, the guys in the ski mask, mask left me a box. I don't know what I was thinking. 
and what's really funny about this, other than the whole thing's funny now that it's, you know, it turned out okay, uh, is that all that was in a box is a piece of paper. I don't know why they just didn't put the piece of paper in an envelope, but they put the piece of paper, piece of paper in the box, opened the box up, took out the paper, it's about this big, and handwritten, it said, Dear Mr. Carl. Which again, it's funny that, you know, they're writing me a note starting with dear, as if they like me. Dear Mr. Carl, if you go to the mosque uh, this Friday to preach, we will kill you. And that was one line. And your wife, Chris, and your daughter, Anna, and your daughter, Marie, and your son, Jonathan. That was the whole note. So I don't know what happened to the deer part, but the no, but so I did what you do. I showed Chris and we both burst out into tears and we're like, you know, we were afraid. I mean, that sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? And we were appropriately scared. And, and then you do the next thing you do after you cry is you call a prayer meeting. So you have all your friends, you're like your most faith-filled friends you can find. So some of the missionary friends and some lo- local Lebanese believers. And we came to our house that night and we prayed. And those kind of prayer meetings are always different than the regular kind. The regular kind that I grew up with were kind of, you know, hands folded, head bowed and eyes closed. I don't know why. That's not in the Bible, but that's kind of the culture I grew up with. Uh, but those, these kind of prayer meetings don't really look like that. You don't pray in King James English. Your prayers aren't all that neat and tidy. And you say help a lot. And you cry. And it feels desperate. So we did that for a couple hours. And at the end of the time, you know, what's the decision? Nobody really knows. And all our missionary friends said, well, it's your life, so you have to decide. So basically, good luck. And they left. And... Uh, <laughs> And then the next day, Chris and I thought we should take this seriously, so let's pray and fast for the day. So the next day, we decided to pray and fast, and I went down. We had under our house was a, a, an old bomb shelter that we had converted in kind of like a prayer room. And, and so I went down there and prayed for a couple hours and came back up. And, and Chris said to me, she goes, well, what God tell you? We had agreed that we had to agree for this day. I mean, we, had, we both had to think that God wanted me to go that Friday, or I wouldn't go, right? So, but she knew what I would have heard God say. By the way, you should always be skeptical when the thing that you wanted God to say to you is the thing that God says to you, right? I mean, so I, I mean, just the way I'm wired, I don't, the, the fear part of my lobe just got disconnected at birth. I have other issues, which I won't tell you about, but fear isn't one of them. So for sure, when I go to pray about, should I go that Friday, I'm going to hear God say to me, yes, Carl, go. And Chris knows that I'm going to hear that. So she goes, so what God tell you? And then she knows that, you know, so I said, well, I think I should go, but you know, but you pray. And we're both assuming she's going to hear God say, don't go. Because, I mean, she's a normal person. And for the most part, she doesn't want her husband to die. There, there are days, but so, uh, so she goes down. And about as long as it takes her to walk down and walk back up, about one minute or even less, she comes back to the door and she opens the door back to our house and she's crying. And I actually thought she'd tripped or she'd fallen or something because she was crying. She was really crying pretty hard. And I said, what happened? And she said, well, I went to open the, the bomb shelter uh, door and, and I just felt like God spoke to me really clearly. And I said, wow, what, what did he say? I was thinking, what did he say to make you cry? That, you know, that's just, it just felt weird. And she said, God said very clearly, like, like Isaac was not Abraham's, Carl is not yours. Let him go. And so I think you should go. And then we both burst into tears again. I don't even know why. You know, it was just emotional. I mean, it's actually emotional even when I say it to you now. And I went. And again, I know anticlimactic a little bit. Here I am. So I didn't die. They didn't kill me. And it actually went amazingly well. That day, that Wednesday, and that week broke the power of fear in my wife's life. Now, if Chris were here, she's very sensitive to anything that sounds like overstatement. And so she would say, no, no, Carla, I didn't do that. And then I would say, yeah, we've actually, when we've spoken together, we actually will have an argument about this on stage, which is always awkward when the people speaking argue, you know. And I'll say, yes, it did. You're never afraid. She's like, yes, I am. I go, no, you're not. And then she'll go, yeah, I'm still afraid. So what we've agreed on now, I think, is what's actually real is she still does get afraid, but she doesn't ever let fear control her, ever, like ever, ever, ever. Now, I don't get afraid, so it doesn't control me because it's not even there, that part. I mean, honestly, it's not godliness. It just, that part doesn't work in me. So like the normal things that, that make you, like I've been trying to figure out how to go meet with ISIS since ISIS has been birthed and we're getting closer and closer. That doesn't sound scary to me at all. Like there's no part of that that sounds scary. And then somebody will say, well, what if they kill you? Exactly. So what's the scary part? So then 
Maybe the killing, the ing part of it doesn't sound much fun, but being dead, that sounds awesome, right? Anybody here afraid of death? If you believe in Jesus, you shouldn't be afraid of death. But we kind of forget that, don't we? Like, oh yeah, that's right, heaven. Oh yeah, that's right. To live is Christ and to die is game. Death isn't scary. Yeah, but the death in, the in part. Well, okay, the in part. I don't want to die. I don't want to be dying. You know, okay, anyway, enough of that. And then whenever I do this, Chris always goes, Carl, I don't like when you say that. <laughs> well, anyway, it's just, it's true. So Chris now doesn't let fear control her. She, she's afraid. She gets scared. She gets nervous about things like our kids. You know, she's a mom. Uh, we have a 20-year-old son at the University of Colorado in Boulder. I don't know why. She, that freaks her out. I think... Boulder. I love, I love Boulder. It's very scary to Chris. John's doing great at Boulder. I mean, he's actually, like his life with Jesus is caught on fire in Boulder. He does this uh, evangelistic Bible study with guys on Tuesday nights. Last Tuesday night, he had 25 guys in his house. I mean, he's like on fire, and, but still, but she's like, yeah, but what if he starts doing LSD and heroin at the same time? <laughs> I mean, not, he might drink a beer, but he's not going to do that. He's not doing that. You know what I mean? But the, the, it's just a mom thing, right? It's a mom thing. She's afraid of it. But it didn't stop her for letting, from letting him go. To, he's at Boulder. He's at CU in Boulder. So she is afraid, but it didn't stop her. And that's what I want for you guys this morning. I actually would love to see you actually set free from fear. Wouldn't that be fun? One of those stories. So we go to the Middle East a lot, even from here. So we were in Beirut 12 years, and we got kicked out of Lebanon. So we had to come back. We didn't want to come back. We went from Beirut to Highlands Ranch. That's weird. Now, Highlands Ranch is scary. It is actually a little scary now that I, now that I think about it. <laughs> Man. Um, anyway, so we're on a cul-de-sac in Highlands Ranch of all the funny things right across from Valor, which is also kind of, kind of scary. And as this big imposing building, they beat everybody at football. And so, um, oh, I wasn't supposed to say that maybe. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and so we're living now in Highlands Ranch and uh, we go back and forth to the Middle East a lot. We actually just got back two weeks ago. We were in Dubai and Sudan. I was in North Sudan, the Muslim part, the, the part that's supposed to be scary. I went there, President Bashir of Sudan invited me to come and speak to the Sudanese parliament about, start with the J, Jesus. Yeah, but what's President Bashir doing inviting you to speak about Jesus? That happens all the time. Muslims are actually the easiest people in the world to talk to about Jesus. I, I can't, I mean, they're way easier than your neighbors. It's just that you don't think that because you saw someone on TV that makes you think that's not true. But I'm just telling you, it's true. Muslims are really easy to talk to about Jesus, and they follow Jesus quite readily when you actually present the Jesus from the Bible, the Middle Eastern Jesus, not the one from Tulsa, Oklahoma. So, <laughs> so uh, sorry if you're from Tulsa. I actually like Tulsa, but Jesus isn't from there. And uh, so I went, went there. So we're, we go back and forth to the Middle East all the time. And we're moving back to the Middle East in October. Uh, my wife and I, were empty nest now. We've been uh, excited to move back. So we're going back in October. And uh, one of the times I took a trip, I went to meet with the leader of the Hezbollah. That We meet with the leader of the Hezbollah and leaders of the Hamas and kind of all the bad groups. We met with the Bin Laden family. I met with the Bin Ladens now maybe a hundred times, times in Saudi Arabia. And we always talk about the Lord. We talk straight up about Jesus. And so we're with the leader of the Hezbollah in this house. And I have a former congressman with me, a current congressman with me, and a former governor with me. And we're talking about Jesus, as we always do. For about two and a half hours, we're praying for the Hezbollah leader, as we always do. We gathered around him, laid hands on him, prayed for him, like real serious, not just like I'll say a prayer sometime prayer, but I'm going to pray for you right now prayer. And so we're laying hands on him, and the TV crew walks in. And so they stop very quietly, like, you know, while we're praying. And when we're done, it's the Hezbollah satellite TV crew. And they said, uh, we'd like to interview the governor. We heard there's a governor here. And the Hezbollah TV goes around the whole Arab world. About 250 million, 300 million people uh, can watch it around North Africa, the Middle East. Everybody that speaks Arabic. And uh, so the governor looked at me and said, do I want to be on Hezbollah TV? And he's a kind of conservative Republican Christian governor from a southern state. And I said, sure, it's fine with me. I mean, you won't be the governor anymore, but you can do whatever you want. 
And so he said, no, no, maybe I better not do that. And so the Hezbollah leader said, oh, just interview Carl. He'll, he'll do it. And, uh, and it's true. I've done that several times. So they came over to me. And I'm, sitting, I'm just sitting there minding my own business. And they, the guy with the camera walks up to me. And the guy with, another guy with the microphone. Another guy with the light. Put the light up. And the guy with the microphone says, we're here with Mr. Carl and his important delegation from America. And we just want to ask uh, Mr. Carl two questions. Tell him, like, he went like that. The light goes on. It's a live, by the way, it's a live feed. I didn't know it was live, but it was live to the whole Arab world. He said, uh, Mr. Carl, could you please tell us why you love the Hezbollah and hate Israel? <laughs> and just in case you're wondering, because you might be wondering about me about this point in this talk, I don't love the Hezbollah organization. The Hezbollah organization is a disaster, obviously. And of course, I don't hate Israel. So it was a trick question. Now, I've been trying to train myself to think and talk and act like Jesus. I'm not very good at that, but I've been trying to be better at that. How did Jesus always answer trick questions? He didn't. Or he asked a trickier question back. Or he told a story that made no sense. We call those parables. <laughs> right? Isn't that what Jesus did? And then everybody's kind of going, wait a minute, I asked him that, and then he told me this story about that. What, what is that story? And then he tries to explain it, and nobody understands, and then they all walk away, and he says, do you guys want to leave too? I mean, the way that Jesus actually interacted with people is really interesting. It's very different than how I was taught. I've been taught to always have answers for any time anybody asks me any question about anything, which it doesn't say anything like that in the Bible. There's one verse in Peter that says, if somebody asks you for the hope that's in you, with gentleness and respect, you should give them an answer of why you have hope. There is no place in the Bible that says anytime anybody asks you any tricky question about the Trinity or about the suffering of mankind, you should answer them. That's not in the Bible anywhere. In any way, since when can you answer the question, why do people suffer? You can't answer that question. Well, it's original sin. No, it's not. If that's the case, people in countries that are more sinful would be suffering more. Well, that's right. Have you ever been to Africa? Are you telling me that Africans are more sinful than Americans? I don't think so. I don't think so. Florida and Haiti are right next to each other. Are you telling me that people in Haiti are more sinful than people in Florida? I don't think so. Uh, seriously, I've been to both. I don't think so. That's not the answer. So what's the answer? The answer is you don't know. That's the answer. And I think that there's a lot of freedom in that answer rather than you having to think that you have to know everything to any question. Try to explain the Trinity to me. It's simple. It's three and one, one and three. That doesn't make sense. It can't be three and one and one and three. There's no such thing. That doesn't make sense. It's God. It's, he's big. He's mysterious. You can't figure him out. I'm not saying that you shouldn't think deeply about stuff. I'm not saying you should diss theology. I love theology. I'm a theologian. By the way, so are you all. You are all theologians. You might have bad theology, but you're all theologians. <laughs> I'm serious. We, I should say we. We might have bad theology, but we're all theologians. So I'm not dissing that. I'm just saying you can't know everything. Anyway, so uh, they asked me that question, and I'm thinking, so I've, done, I've learned to do two things. First of all, I pray, and the prayer goes like this. So I did that. And, uh, and in that prayer is like a whole agreed upon thing that mostly means help and why am I in this situation again and I'm a knucklehead and I can't, what's going on? It's all that stuff. God and I kind of, we, we've prearranged the gulping prayer thing. And I did that. It just kind of comes out. I always kind of go, because he'd ask me, why do you love the Hezbollah and hate Israel? And boom, the microphone's in front of my lips and the TV and the camera's going. So I went, and then I said what I've trained myself to say in those kinds of situations. I said, that reminds me of a story Jesus told, which it didn't. But <laughs> what, what you do is you say those words kind of slowly, and you hope by that time you get to the word told, that a story Jesus told comes back to your memory. Now, the trick is you have to know the stories Jesus told to be reminded of the stories Jesus told. You can't have an automatic, you know, God download about something that he said, probably. I mean, you could. And my kids used to always ask us to pray for them the night before a test. And we would always pray that God would remind them of everything that they studied, right? But what they want us to pray for is like a zap of information from God, <laughs> That doesn't work. That's never, it never worked for me anyway. So I said that. I, I gulped. I said, that reminds me of a story Jesus told. And the guy with the microphone, he, he went like this. Like, how could that remind you of a story Jesus told, what I just asked you? And then the story of the prodigal son popped into my head. So I just dove in. And I said, Jesus told the story just over there. 
I mean, we're entire Lebanon. Israel is about 10 miles away. So I just said over, I didn't say, I'm being sensitive to my audience a little bit because they're still pretending that Israel isn't over there. So I just said over there. <laughs> Jesus told this story over there and about this wealthy patriarch of this honorable family that had great land and great wealth. And the younger son, while the dad was still living, asked for his half of the inheritance. When I said that, the guy with the camera went like this. And he, he kind of scrunched up his nose. What? How could that be the younger son while the dad's still alive? That's like wishing your dad was dead. What's going to happen now? The dad's going to kill him. For sure the dad's going to kill him. You've got to restore the honor to the family. How embarrassing, how dishonoring, how shameful. And the dad gives it to him. The guy had gone back to his little hole again in the camera. He went like that again when I said the dad gave it to him. And the son had a lot of money and so then had a lot of friends and went off and partied. And then all the money disappeared. All the friends were gone. And then ended up living and eating and drinking with pigs. When I said pigs, the guy went like that again. Like, what? What kind of story has pigs in it? This is the Middle East. Muslims don't do pigs like Jews don't do pigs. You know, so there's pigs in the story. There's a disobedient, crazy younger son that steals his dad's money, wishing his dad would be dead. What kind of story? And why? And why? How, what does it have to do with me asking Carl why he loved the Hezbollah and hates Israel? And so I just kept going. And then the son comes to his senses. You know the story, right? And then he rehearses his speech as he walks back home. Dad, I'm such a knucklehead. I'm not even worthy to be called your son, obviously. But if you would take me back, you can see the son's nervous because he rehearses the story. If I could just be your slave, it'd be so much better being your servant than eating and sleeping with pigs. Would you please take me back as a slave? Obviously, I can't be your son. And the father seems to have been watching for the son because he sees him from a long ways off and the father runs to him. When I said the father runs to him, the cameraman guy went like this and he never went back to the hole again. I don't know where the camera went from there on because the rest of the time he's just, he's looking at me. What, what kind of a story has a wealthy patriarch running? Wealthy patriarchs in the Middle East don't run. You know, till now, Middle Eastern men wear kind of man dresses. You know, they're called kandora or a dish dash or a thobe. It's a long dress. And first of all, wealthy men there receive guests. Honorable men, when I, I know some people of honor that part of the world, when I go to Dubai and I meet with a top sheikh, I don't call him up and say, hey, I'm in room 304 over at the Marriott. Could you come visit me? No, I go visit him. He doesn't come to me. The, honor, the honored one receives guests. You honor them by going to them. Wealthy patriarchs never ran. Men don't run in public because the only way you can run, as you know, ladies, in a long dress or if you're in a man dress, you have to pull it up. You have to hike it up kind of high and then you can kind of run. It's still, I haven't worn a dress, but I have worn these thobe things and you can't run in them. And you would never run exposing your legs while hiking up this thobe as a man. You would never run. You just wouldn't do that. It's, un, it's actually unthinkable at about 10 different Middle Eastern levels. That would never happen. But the audience that Jesus was speaking to, and my audience on Hezbollah TV knew what was going to happen when I said he ran. He's going to kill his son to restore honor. The only way honor would be restored to this family that has been shamed is the wealthy patriarch runs to his son with the knife and plunges the knife. For sure, for sure my audience thought that's, when it, that's justice. That's what the world runs on. Not just the Middle East, by the way. The world runs on justice. And so sure enough, the father runs. And I did this. I did this. On, I said, the father ran to his son. I could tell the guy, the guy, he's still holding the microphone. He could have pulled it back at any time. He's just got, he has a shocked look on his face the whole talk. And you could see the kind of guy going like this. Ah, boom, he's going to kill him. That's good. That's good. That's what should happen to a son. That should happen. That should happen. That's what you do. I mean, what a disobedient. You have to restore. See, the rest of the world is based on shame and honor. In America, we've kind of gotten away from that. Uh, it's good and bad that we have. There are some things that are good about a shame honor culture, and there are some things not so good. But to, to restore honor to a shamed family, the one who shamed the family must die. For sure. You hear about honor killings, and it sounds so horrific to us, but in a shame and honor culture, that's exactly what should happen. And for sure, this, this father is going to kill the son, but he doesn't. He hugs him. And he wraps a coat around his shoulders, a new ring on his finger, a new sandals on his feet, and he brings the son back home. And then you can see Jesus' audience going, oh, smart. He brings him home back to the village to kill him. 
in front of the whole village. Smart. This is a smart patriarch, smart father, because he should be avenged in public, not out on the dusty road somewhere. He's going to bring him home and kill him. And he brings the son back home, the younger son who stole his half of the inheritance while the dad was still alive, and he throws a party. And I said, that's why we're here. Because the God we serve throws parties for people who turn back to him. So whether you're from over there, I pointed there, or from here, or from where I'm from, whether you're Christian or Muslim or something else, as soon as you turn to God, he welcomes you home and he throws a party. And that's why we're here. So I finished my talk and the guy, the guy with the microphone pulls it back and the camera's still going, but he said into the microphone, he said, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, which means, oh God, oh God, oh God. <laughs> and then he went like that, the, the, the little red light went off and he walks around to the Hezbollah leader who's talking to my friend who's the governor and he said to him, I asked Mr. Carl to say why he loves the Hezbollah and hates Israel, but he didn't. And the Hezbollah go, guy goes, well, what did he say? He goes, he just told this story about Jesus. And the Hezbollah leader said to the cameraman, it's Carl. What do you think he was going to say? <laughs> and then he leans around behind the governor and he looks at me and he goes like this. <laughs> now, I don't know what you're thinking. When you think of the word Hezbollah, you're probably not thinking of a smiley guy giving thumbs up to me when I preach Jesus on his TV station, are you? And you're not thinking that, and I'm not excusing. I'm not, this is not a political talk. I'm not saying, oh, the Hezbollah are wonderful people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying... When you have no fear and when you lift up the name of Jesus, what happens is incredible. See, God is love and Jesus is God. And when Jesus is near, love drives fear out. And one of the two always wins. Actually, at the, I have a new book about fear called Adventures and Saying Yes. It just came out this week. And one of the chapters, at the beginning of every chapter, I, I quote a verse. I quote the verse in 1 John chapter 4 and I quote it as... Perfect fear drives out love. And then I don't ever correct it in the whole chapter. And so already I've got been getting emails. By the way, you know that, that verse you quoted in First John? It's not right. It's the other way around. I go, well, yeah, I know it's the other way around in the Bible, but actually both ways are true. So either fear drives out love or love drives out fear. Both are true. They, those two emotions, which are very powerful, cannot coexist. You are, we are about to enter a year and a half of media that's going to be on a fear frenzy. You know it's coming up in about a year and a half. Uh, but what if she gets elected? I mean, just like to throw out some, you know, thought. Now that's going to be scary. I'm not naming names, but like if she gets elected as president, oh my goodness, I'm moving to Canada. That's it. That's going to be crazy. By the way, Canada's not that bad. I actually like Canada a lot. But, or if you're on the other side of the aisle... What if we have another one of that family as our president? So I'm just trying to offend both sides equally here, <laughs> right? Fear is going to be the thing that you will be bombarded with. What gets you to not vote for him or her to vote for? It's mostly fear. You actually have no idea what the new guy or the new ladies actually believes. You really don't. They kind of say stuff. It all sounds kind of the same to me, but you don't really know, but you know for sure that you better not vote for that person. Fear is very powerful, and fear drives out love. See, if you're afraid of Muslims, if you see what ISIS is doing right now, which is pretty scary. I mean, it's actually like real, actual scary stuff. And if that makes you afraid of a bunch of Muslims, then the next time you see a Muslim walking around town, which I don't know if you know this or not, even in Douglas County, there are Muslims here, which I think is wonderful. You're going to be afraid of them, and if you're afraid of them, you can't love them. You can't. We were down at 16th Street Mall the other day with a pastor friend of ours, and we were walking down. We were actually going to the Cheesecake Factory for dinner down there, and we were walking down 16th Street, and all of a sudden, Chris goes, I'll be right back. And we're like, what? And she's, she's not usually like that. And my wife like, just turns right and like, almost starts running, starts walking really fast that way. And so our friends, Greg and June and I, we stopped, and, and we see a lady with a black scarf, you know, it looks like a Muslim lady, walking this way. Chris ran right up to her. I think the lady was freaked out. <laughs> she was like, ooh, who is this American terrorist? <clears throat> and Chris runs up to her, and then all we see, we see a brr, 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 we see like talking, 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 and then the next thing you know, they're both hugging. 
and, and, and my friends and I are just standing there. You know, we don't know what's going on. It's about 50 feet away. And she comes back and Chris is wiping tears from her eyes. And, and I said, what just happened? She goes, well, I just saw a lady. I wanted to go give her, you know, a hello and a welcome. And turns out she's Iraqi and she's been in Denver for a year and a half. And Chris is the first person that's talked to her. And she started to cry and cry and cry. And then Chris is crying and then we're all crying. But see, you can't do that if you're afraid of Muslims. Do you get that? So it's not about Muslims. It's not about, you know, you can fill in the blank. Whoever is the scary person in your life, it might be the other politics, it might be another gender, it might be you're afraid of gay people. I mean, whatever it is, whoever they are to you. You might be afraid of your neighbors. You might be afraid of non-Christians. Whoever you're afraid of, that is not from God. Let me just be really clear. Fear is from something. It's not from God. Fear is Satan's playground. He wants you to be afraid of groups of people. When you say those Muslims and you fill in the blank with someone negative, that is from the enemy. Don't tell me that it's true. Because there's lots of things in the world that are true that are not helpful. Are ISIS terrorists? Of course they are. Did God create them? Does God love them? Of course he does. And you who know truth, who knew life, who know freedom, you could maybe bring them to know Jesus. Saul was a terrorist as well. Saul, who became Paul, was a terrorist, terrorizing Christians, killing them, presiding over their executions. He was doing exactly what ISIS was doing, and he was in Syria, and so are they, and look what happened to him. Don't tell me there's no hope, but you just have to get the hope in the right place. It's in Jesus, and we know him, and when we're close to him because he is God and God is love. He drives out fear. The object of your love has to be greater than the object of your fear. If it's the other way around, fear wins. And you don't want fear to win. See, I always smile after I say something that's kind of hard to make you kind of go, that was really hard. But he seems like a nice guy. <laughs> Let me just give you a little tiny advertisement and I want to finish with one story. So I do have a new book. It just came out Tuesday. So this book is called Adventures in Saying Yes. It's the first time my wife, Chris, has written anything. So she wrote about 20, 25 pages in this book. So it's fun to hear from her because people that meet me kind of go, I want to meet your wife because you sound kind of crazy. So she's actually in this book. So that's cool. And then I have, so you guys have these books, I think. Uh, Speaking of Jesus, it's kind of how I talk about Jesus with everybody and Muslims, Christian. If you want a Muslim kind of focused book, I have some of those. And then some DVDs. And then also this week, we're doing a conference in Denver. It just happens to be this week. And there's still a few seats left. Actually, not very many now because um, some of you guys bought some last night in the first service already. It's called Simply Jesus. As you, I kind of have a Jesus theme going on here. And it's in downtown Denver. It's... Um, at Denver Community Church downtown. It's an old Jewish synagogue. Really, it's like the coolest old building in Denver, I think. Um, It's on 16th Street in Pearl. It's this Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, so you can come to all of it, part of it. And just because you're the last people I'm talking to before this happens, and it's happening now, if you go to register on the website, just simplyjesusgathering.com, or if you Google Simply Jesus, that's what comes up. If you go to register, uh, you can use a code that gives you $100 off, so then it becomes cheap. So it's The Rock 140. So T-H-E-R-O-C-K, all capital letters, The Rock. You're all writing this down. 140, The Rock 140. And if you get confused, you can email the person there and they'll respond. But it'd be fun to have you come. We have a guy coming all the way from Bethlehem, a Palestinian Christian guy. So there are some Palestinians that are Christians. He's flying in from Bethlehem. Floyd McClung, who's speaking here in a few weeks. Floyd's flying in from Cape Town, South Africa to speak. He used to lead YWAM. Lynn Hybels, the pastor's wife, Bill Hybels of Willow Creek, she'll be there. Paul Young, a guy that wrote a book called The Shack, you may have heard of, he'll, uh, he'll, he'll be there. That was, that was a joke. I think, hasn't like, all the world actually read that book? If you haven't, you should. It's a fantastic book. Uh, Ted Decker, who's an author friend of mine, Ted Decker is going to be speaking there. I'm going to be there. I throw the party, so then I get to speak a little bit too. And it's kind of all like this. It's all stories. We're focused on the parables and the stories Jesus told and how you tell stories and why you tell stories. It's going to be a lot of fun. It just happens to be this week, this Thursday, Friday, simplyjesusgathering.com is the website. All right, do I have time for, I forgot to ask you when I'm supposed to finish. Did you say three o'clock today? (laughs) Three o'clock. You know, Mike's great. It's just like JR. You know, they always kind of say, hey, be led by the Spirit, do whatever you want, you know, and they actually mean that. Everybody else always tells me that too. And they say, and by the way, be done at 1230. 
be totally free, totally, but 12.30. Not 12.31 either. At 12.31, the lights go off. Do I have, do I have time? It's 12.42. I actually really don't know when I was supposed to finish. I'm embarrassed by that. Can I do a quick story? 12.30, when we're supposed to finish, so I'm already 10 minutes over, but you're saying go ahead anyway. That doesn't really make sense. What about the children? All the children's pastors are going to hate me. Uh, real quick. So with Floyd, with Floyd, I was in Saudi Arabia. And uh, with Floyd McClung, who's going to be here in a few weeks. I'm giving lots of, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, Floyd's awesome. You'll love Floyd. Um, I was in Saudi Arabia, and we were actually, we ended up at this uh, royal family member's home. And uh, it was the prince, princess and the royal family, the Saudi royal family, and a bunch of her entourage, aunts and uncles and kids. And her husband wasn't there, but about 30 of them were there. And uh, we were sitting by the swimming pool inside her house. She had an Olympic-sized swimming pool inside her house with live palm trees. We're sipping virgin Mai Tais. Muslims don't do alcohol. So we're sipping virgin Mai Tais by a swimming pool with palm trees inside of a house, suffer, you know, suffering for the gospel. And, um, and she starts kind of yelling and ripping on American politics and whatever. And I've heard that all before. So usually it doesn't affect me. But she's like really being mean about our, you know, foreign policy and whatever. And, and so I kind of found the back of my neck getting hot and, and feeling like, man, I'm going to, you know, which you know, would, wouldn't be good. You don't, you don't want to punch a princess in Saudi Arabia. But, uh, and then all of a sudden, she, she stopped and she said, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I said too much. I must have offended you. She's looking at Floyd. I looked at Floyd and Floyd's crying. And she goes, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do And he said, no, no, no. I'm so sorry. I'm so, I, I'm so, I'm so sorry that we've offended you as a nation, whether we did or didn't do or whatever. I just want to say, as an American, I apologize and please forgive me. I'm so sorry. And of course, he said that. And then I thought, oh yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say that, but, <laughs> but I was totally not thinking that actually. And it broke the whole, it broke the ice. I mean, obviously it broke the whole thing wide open. And then she, then she started apologizing. They're having an apology contest. And then she looks at me and she said, I don't even know you. Why are you here? I don't even know what you're doing here. And she did. She hadn't even asked us anything. And I said, well, my name's Carl, and we're followers of Jesus. And we followed Jesus here to Saudi Arabia. And I was getting ready to go on. And when I said, we followed Jesus here to Saudi Arabia, she went like this. She goes, where? And I said, well, here. She goes, no, but where's, what? And so then I explained to her. I said, well, you know, Jesus talks a lot about this kingdom. And one of the, one of the times he says the kingdom of heaven, the king, God's kingdom is like a man who walked in a field and found a buried treasure, a treasure, he buried it again. He went off and sold everything he had joyfully. He was happy to get rid of all he had to buy the whole field. And that's like, God's kingdom is like that. It's so much bigger than the kingdom of Saudi Arabia even, which is pretty impressive, by the way. So much bigger than the kingdom of America. It's so much bigger than all the kingdoms of the world. And she said, where is this kingdom? Just like that. Where is this kingdom? I said, actually, it's here. It comes with people who have submitted their lives to the king. And she said, who is this king? I said, it's the one who told the story. It's Jesus. She went, oh, and how, how, do, you get, how do you get this king? This is, the whole, this is actually like real-time conversation. The whole conversation was about five minutes. How do you get this king? And I said, I actually thought for a minute, thinking I hadn't really had that conversation ever before, go that way. So I was thinking I should know the answer to how do you get the king. I, I'm trained, I'm a professional, you know. But it, the way it came out was like so practical. I was, I was thinking, how do you get the king? And I go, I, I, you just ask. You just ask. And so we're all sitting down on cushions on this big floor, and she sprung up, and I kind of crawled up Floyd, because <clears throat> I don't know if you ever sat like that on your haunches for like, you know, 10, 15 minutes, but everything goes to sleep. So I climbed up. We all stand up. And she said, well then, I had said, we ask, how do you get this king? You ask. And then she bounced up. She goes, well then. And then Muslims, when Muslims pray informally, they pray with their head up, their eyes open, their hands out like this, palms up. She went like this. We all stood up and went like that. And then she said, well then, come King Jesus. And I don't know if you've experienced this or not. I've experienced it twice in my life, not just the not just the feel, it feels good presence of God, but the actual physical, tangible presence of God. I felt it twice. I felt it in a Bedouin tent in the deserts of Syria where God's presence actually physically showed up and I felt it in the Saudi palace. It, it smelled, it smelled like incense. I, my wife's Greek and she grew up Greek Orthodox, so I've smelled incense. It didn't smell, I couldn't recognize the smell, but it was a thick, pungent odor and it got cloudy and everybody started crying. When she said, come King Jesus, boom. Now Floyd was already crying because he's a crybaby. But, 
But the rest of us started crying. We all just started weeping. Everybody in the room, her servants, everybody just started weeping. And then there's a great story that goes on from there, but we're out of time. You can't have stories like that if you're afraid. If the object of your fear is greater than the object of your love, fear wins. I don't want fear to win. I write about it, I speak about it, but I actually live that out, and I know God's given me this grace of removing that part of my brain, but my wife's a better story of this than I am because she does have fear, and it never controls her. So I want to invite you, I'm going to close in prayer. If you have fear, and all of us have some fear, so I don't want everybody to stand up and not come forward. Just stand up where you are. If you have fear that you feel like debilitates you, that's fear that you want to get rid of, I'm just going to ask you to stand up right now where you are, and I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to close that way. And if you're too chicken to stand up for prayer about fear, I don't know what to do about that. (laughs) Maybe I should pray for that first. (laughs) Now, the thing is, I wish I could go like this and all fear would be gone forever. That's not likely to happen. I'm going to pray for you that you start to take the steps to say yes to Jesus that you need to do right now so that throughout your life, you'll be free from fear. What really matters is not what I pray right now, but what you do tomorrow morning when you wake up when you go back into work, when you meet that person again, when you think about your kid, when you think about your spouse or your ex or your business partner or whatever, it's what happens then. So I'll pray for the magic wand of God to deliver you for all time right now, but good chance you'll have to walk that out in obedience. I just want to say that because I think sometimes we set people up for failure when we pray for them because then they walk away and they actually feel the same way they did before we prayed and then they feel let down. I don't want you to feel that way. All right, so Father, I pray that you would come right now by your Spirit, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. You are the Spirit of freedom. You are the Spirit, God, of love, and it is love that drives out fear to be free. Galatians says, don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that you've been set free. You've been set free to be free. And if you're under fear, it's not from God. It is not from God. And so we just say right now, in Jesus' name, be gone, fear. I ask that it would be replaced by love and that love would birth faith and that love would birth freedom, that love would birth courage and bravery. Don't seek those things. Seek God's hand, but then his hand provides all those other things that you will be a brave person. And I pray that this afternoon and tomorrow morning as we carry on our lives that you remember this talk and remember this prayer and that God would fill you again with that that love that would drive out your fear. Do that, Jesus. In Jesus' name, set people free. Mike, you want to come up and just close us? I believe, you guys, I believe that you can be set. Have you ever even thought about that? What a life free of fear would look like? Have you ever considered that? Like, what if you had no fear? Can you imagine how free you would be? You'd be so free. You could do anything that God wanted you to do if you had no fear. Doesn't that sound inviting? God wants that for you. It's not a, it's not a long shot. God wants you to be free from fear. Okay, before I preach sermon two, that's what we do. You know that's what preachers do. They pray, but it's actually another prayer preach. You don't do that, do you? No, okay, good. <laughs> well, everyone who's standing, you can sit down for, for just a second. I just, I just want to do one more thing. Um, I did this in the last service, and I just, I just feel that there may be, there may be some people here that have, that have never actually uh, given their heart uh, to Jesus. And, um, and I just want to make sure that, y- that you have the opportunity uh, to do that. And, uh, you know, it says love casts out fear. And it's not, it's not our love, it's God loves. It's God's love that casts out that fear. And in order to have that love, we have to have Jesus in us. And we have to invite him into our lives uh, to be our Lord and Savior. It, 
and to be, uh, to be ahead of our lives. And so I just want to give everyone an opportunity right now. If, if this is something that, uh, that either you have never given your life to Jesus, or you've never said, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. Or if you have, and then you've kind of just stepped away, and, and now, now's the time that you, here's a chance to come back, to say, God, I, I, you know, I want like the prodigal son. Like, I want to come back. And Lord, I know that you'll wrap your arms of love around me. And so I just want to give you all that opportunity now. So I'm, what I'm going to do is you know, if it's in your heart, if, if this is the time that you want to do that, I'm just, going to, I'm just going to pray a prayer. And I just want you to pray that prayer as well. And then I would love for you to just come up afterwards. We're going to have the prayer teams up here. Um, if you are giving your life to Jesus for the first time, or if you're, if you're coming back to him uh, after being that, that prodigal son, I'd love for you to come up and just to, uh, to, to, to talk to someone on the, on the prayer team and just to have them pray for you. So let's pray. And I'm just going to pray it as if I'm praying, praying it. And you can just pray in your hearts as well. So, Lord, I come to you now. And God, I no longer want to live the way I'm living. God, I want to live a life for you. I want to live a life that is 100% for you. And so I lay down, I lay down everything that I have at your feet. And I ask you, I ask you to come into my life. And I ask you to make a difference in my life. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. That I could love with the love that you have. That I could be able to receive your love, which, which takes nothing. That is by grace that we, we receive this. We don't have to do anything. So Lord, I ask that, that I could receive that love now. Your love. That you would come into my life. Lord, and you would make me the person, Father, that you have for me to be, the person that you have designed me to be. Lord, I thank you that love casts out fear. And so, Father, I ask for your love to come into my life. I ask you to be, be the one, the center of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that I, it, from your heart, I just I pray that you come up here, just uh, share that with someone up here. Um, if you would like prayer, we're going to have the ministry teams up here. Um, we'd love for you to come up and get prayer. Um, if not, uh, have an awesome week. Uh, I love you all. Uh, there's buckets in the back. If you do want to give uh, to, uh, to Carl, as he's going to be heading back over to the Middle East here in October, uh, we'd love for you to give into that. Uh, also, uh, Craig Bailey and his wife, Diana, they're going to be leaving for Uganda, and there's going to be a team coming up to pray for them. If you'd like to pray for them, and we're going to do that now after, the, after this service. So have a great week. God bless you. Love you. We'll see you.